Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 15 um, of the, the live show. Um, it's just a continuation of some more Q&As we've done the last few weeks. There's a ton and ton and ton of good information on here. Lots of good questions came in on this show. Um, and I think you guys are really going to learn a lot and enjoy this one. Uh, thanks everybody for for listening. I got to thank my partners. The first one being Stealth Outdoors. Lou uh, and the the team there at Stealth Outdoors probably have hands down the the best customer service in the industry. Um, if you call Stealth Outdoors, guess who's going to pick up? Uncle Lou. He's going to take care of you. Um, with that all being said. They clearly have the best silencing product on the market, um, and my favorite product from them is the buckle silencers, um, but it is just one step in silencing your gear. You have to get the whole package to make sure you um, purchase all the, the Stealth Outdoor products they have to, to put on your, your tree stand. It will save you eventually if you're a deer hunter. Um, we've all made noises that we didn't want to make in the in the. the uh, when we're chasing after big white tails and stealth strips helps prevent that from happening um, Lou's also doing some giveaways here and there I think right now he is giving away um, some some beast sticks so make sure you go over to his um, website stealthoutdoors.com and get you some stealth strips also I want to thank Hunting Beast Gear makers of the best stand and sticks for mobile hunters on the market um, and right now they got a new product called the Three Finger Hooker that I've helped produce a commercial for. Um, it's a cool product where you can um, just use it to pull up your tree stand, your bow, um, whatever else you drop on the ground without having to make a couple trips up and down a tree. Um, it's a good product and obviously the best mobile stand on the market and mobile sticks. Pick you up some Beast Minis. We're giving away a set of Beast Minis on the YouTube version of this podcast. So if you haven't yet, go over to that and subscribe. And uh, visit huntingbeastgear.com and get you some Beast Gear. Okay. And finally, Exodus Outdoor Gear. Um, I have something really cool to share with you from uh, my friends over at Exodus. I just got word they're kicking off their annual hashtag Velvet Fest campaign. If you're not familiar with Velvet Fest, it's the official start to deer season. We're here, folks. Deer season is among us. And Exodus helps get the ball rolling for everyone's summer scouting. I know when hashtag Velvet Fest hits, it means it's time to get my cameras ready and deployed for the season. I know I'm working hard to get all mine out. I've gotten a handful of them out, and i got two handfuls more to, to put out. So uh, that's going to happen for me over the next couple of weeks. From July 15th to August 19th, they'll have um, some awesome prizes for people who use the hashtag VelvetFest. So it's, it's the pound sign or hashtag V-E-L-V-E-T. F-E-S-T on social media showing their whitetail adventures. Also, if you're in the market for a trail camera, hashtag VelvetFest will be the perfect opportunity to get ready for this season. Exodus will be sending out exclusive savings through their email newsletter throughout the campaign. But to get things started, save 20% on any 
multiple Exodus render or any render bundles bundles for the first 100 orders. So it's just limited to 100 orders. So get it get it fast. Use the code code Velvet Fest to lock in these awesome summer savings. I'm going to have the this uh, code in the description below the podcast. Um, so check that out. Make sure you, you there's there's some um, um, uppercase letters in here and whatnot. So make sure you check that out before you use the the code. Every single camera order comes with a random prize card. So I've been told it can include some huge deals, uh, even including the all-new Exodus MMT tailored arrows, which I am shooting this year, and I I love them. They, they're good arrows. Over the last seven years, Exodus has con- consistently shown they build quality gear that flat-out works, and of course, the best trail camera warranty, period, in the industry. Every single, every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty and even comes with theft and damage protection. Can you believe that? Theft and damage protection on a freaking trail camera. Yes, five years. Literally half a decade you'll be covered by the Exodus five-year warranty. But more than likely you won't need to need to use it uh, because their cameras are already pretty much bulletproof. Um, they also launched the, the MMT Arrows this summer. The tailored arrow built to your specifications using nothing but the highest grade components, period. So head to their website and use the, the 3D Builder and experience the best shooting hunting arrow available. Uh, yeah, I I got mine in, shot them through paper. Uh, they tuned real easily. Uh, walked back, tuned them. Everything was good. So um, I would recommend them. Be sure to take part in the hashtag Velvet Fest celebration uh, be sure to tag uh, tag ha- uh, Exodus on your social media because uh, we'll want to see what you guys are up to this summer. So participate in that, guys. Um, thanks for listening to uh, my my partner reads here. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the support on the podcast, guys. It's crazy how how fast it's growing. I'm going to do way more stuff on this uh, audio book. Uh, version of the podcast i had some issues the last couple weeks got those resolved and we're moving on uh so so keep track of this uh be looking for more content on this channel join us on uh most the mostly thursday nights uh on on youtube for the live version of the show get involved um you can comment there you can call in and ask questions it's a good time all right let's get into the episode Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Hope everybody's doing good tonight. Um, how's Dan doing? Good. 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 Uh, looks like we got a lot of guys already on the on the chat. So uh, everybody, we're going to do another um, another kind of a Q and A or just a kind of a BS session tonight. We got so many questions last week. We thought we'd just kind of continue doing that uh, this week. Um, thought we could we could fill another hour or so doing that um so i didn't really pull any questions from facebook this time didn't post anything about it i just wanted to start pulling stuff from uh the the comments and see where it's gone from there um i gotta cover a few things though so last week i didn't forget to tell you this dan i got something called a super chat and i didn't know didn't really know i knew they existed i guess but never thought about it and essentially what it is is somebody on the chat you can i guess like tip tip us um and then your question is supposed to get like highlighted so you're like as a 
a host, if someone do, does that, the polite thing to do would be to like, make sure you get to their question, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but for some reason I didn't see it cause I, I didn't, I guess I wasn't, mm -hmm. I'm not conscious. I didn't, didn't realize it was a thing. Um, uh, so I do have a, a super chat. So if you guys end up doing a super chat and I apologize if anybody has done that in the past and I didn't get to your question. Um, but I'll for sure, uh, keep an eye on that. If you do a, a, what's called a super chat, I don't know if you guys know what that is or not, but I guess it's just a way they know about it more than you do. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a way. And the only reason I, I, uh, figured this one out is because, uh, um, the guy messaged me on Facebook and he's like, Hey, I, I didn't really see it ever pop up or, you know, he wasn't mad. He just was letting me know, which I, I appreciated it. Um, but I'll answer his question this week, uh, for sure. Um, Oh, Moby Mike. He said, uh, just got him some gum leaf boots. Dan. Nice. Nice. Cool. How's it working you, for him? I don't know. He may, he may let us know here. Um, yeah. man, I, yeah, I, I like mine. I, I, uh, I just I, I just got the zip up ones. I got, I'm going to test them out. I haven't. Oh really? Put them on, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't go out and walk around or anything with them yet. I just been busy. Yeah. When but, I uh, ordered mine, um, the the guy that that works for him there, he really yeah. was pushing me. Jack, yeah, uh, he, Jack Butler, I think is his name. Mm -hmm. He um, he was really pushing me to get the zip up ones, but I ended up. Yeah, he really loves them. He talked me into getting a pair. Yeah. Are they yeah. insulated or not? Uh, I, I think they're very lightly insulated, kind of like the other boots. They, they got like a thin layer. Um, don't quote me on that. I just looked at them briefly. I, I just got them out of the box, put them on my feet, and made sure they fit. Yeah. Um, but I think they're like, there's like a light insulation, like a neoprene yeah. on the inside, but it's only like an eighth inch thick or something. Yeah. Which ones you got? You got the... Uh, it's a green pair, like a darker green. Um, so you got the like the ones with no zipper and stuff, right? Yeah, I don't have the zippered ones. Essentially, I got the like cheapest ones you could get. Is what I got, which are still. So that's, that's what I liked it. I didn't have all the extra stuff on it, which is yeah. To me, that's oh. better. Um, but he talked me into the zipper ones. Said they fit better. You get a tight fit when you zip them up. Um, so I'm gonna try it. My my worry was the zipper is gonna break, and he's telling me that. Uh, they just don't break. They withstand anything. I said, okay, I'll give it a try. Yeah. Try. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. If uh, we're going to, if we're going to hawk products here, uh, tell me how those arrows are shooting. You've been shooting some through your bowl. Yep. I can't really complain about them. I, um, I had, I got that prime, uh, whatever, a couple months ago when I, I, uh, set it up with my arrows from last year hmm. and I kind of had in my mind that I'd have to, kind of retune with these new arrows maybe and uh chad chad messaged me from exodus and was you know asking me for my draw length my draw weight um asked me a lot of like really intricate questions about my um you know uh the size of my material on my string um to make sure i got the right mm -hmm. knock fit and all that and i told him all that stuff and came in i shot it once through uh, paper and it, it shot perfect. Um, so I just shot it at 20 and 30 yards the other day. I just got these arrows in, uh, well, it was on vacation when they came in. So just this week's all the time I've got to, to tinker with them. I got, uh, I got mine in too. Um, but I'm waiting to get a new rest on my bow. Mm -hmm. Um, I did, I did, uh, shoot one a couple times and it was, uh, 
impressive flight, but I really want to put a new uh, new rest on and really really play with it. Yeah, they uh, they really thought it out. I mean, they've been working on this arrow for a long time. Yeah, um, I wasn't even sure that he had let the cat out of the bag yet. I thought maybe uh, we had arrows and he hadn't told anybody yet. He, he he's released that now. It is. Yep, you can order them on the website. They sent me the ad read. Uh, essentially, was what you guys hear is what Exodus tells me to say, um, or, or my version of it. Um, and that's that's what they 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 released it. Uh, I think Friday you can start ordering order ordering them. Hmm. Um, and they those guys this week they have. They it looks like you can see it on their Facebook page or their Instagram page. They've they've rented out like a um, high speed camera and a, a conograph um, and a hooter shooter that shoots bows. And they're doing all kinds of cool testing with those arrows and you know putting different point weight and uh, putting them in slow, real super slow motion in those high speed cameras. Um, be cool to see what they they come up with or or end up being. I mean, they got a pile of bow. They got bows at different like uh, let off different poundage, different draw. I mean, they're, they're going through the whole spectrum. They're doing it for a full week. Um, shooting, bow, shooting arrows through that uh, hooter shooter every day. So, um, Oh, look here. I got a super chat, Dan. Nice. Uh, I heard you. <laughs> yeah. So this is from, that's how it works. Uh, huh? Yeah. That one, uh, highlighted and everything. I see what it's supposed to look like now. So Brian, appreciate it, man. Um, so he says, what kind of arrows should a beginner bow hunter shoot with a 60 pound draw uh, weight, 29 inch draw length? I don't know. I'm not the brightest guy at that. I mean, Josh is way better yeah. than me. But what I'll say is uh, I just told uh, uh, Chad from Exodus what my draw length was and, you know, how long my arrows needed to be and, and what my weight was. And he sent me the perfect arrow. Yeah, that's definitely an option. Um, and that's probably like, if you're, if you are really new and, um, you know, don't want to tinker with anything or do anything, you could do that. 60 pounds. Um, I'll just give you like my recommendation. You could probably go with like a 350 or, uh, 400 spine and 29 inch draw length. So your arrow could be whatever uh, you could ar around that. Um, there's a, I mean, arrows can get super complicated if you, if you make them complicated. And I would just tell you, like, if you're, if you're just starting out, you can, um, you can spend as little or as, as much as you want. There's a lot of good arrows on the market for, um, a, a good price. If you're willing to, um, put in the work to, um, to mess with them. Um, but those, those arrows from Exodus are, are a really good option. If you kind of want to make sure you have what you need right out, out of the gate. Uh, and they also, those arrows, you know, they, they are installed with premium, um, inserts and, and knocks. Whereas if you bought like some cheaper arrow from wherever, um, you know, the components aren't going to be quite as high quality. Um, now that being said, if you're trying to like your pension pennies and you don't have, you know, you want a really cheap option, you know, you, you can look at a, a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, arrows out there for, you know, 50 to $60 for half the one thing I'd say about that, though, if you do buy arrows uh, and you go the, the cheaper route, um, I'd still go to a pro shop because uh, having worked in the industry, I know that uh, the arrow companies send the arrows that are out of uh, tolerance 
to the mm-hmm. to the big box stores, mm-hmm. like the the fleet farms and stuff. The ones where you get the stuff off the rack. Yeah, they're usually um, you you know above the tolerance that they sell them to the um, pro shops for. Yep. So you don't want to buy bent arrows. You buy them from a pro shop. Yep. Um, yeah, your local pro shop. There's a lot of YouTube stuff. If I was you, there's a guy named Aaron Snyder. He's kind of a a guy that's a happy medium. He's not really on that extreme FOC, and he's not, you know, he doesn't shoot a target arrow either. So he's a good guy that I I always like recommend people checking out some of his videos on if you want to build your own or something. But um, you can just search him on YouTube and arrows, and I'm sure a bunch of stuff will um, pop up. Because uh, some of the the ranch fairy stuff, I see a lot of people are are commenting on that. That's all fine and dandy. It can just be complicated for a new hunter that's just trying to, you know, get something shooting good out of his bow. That stuff can get real expensive, also. When you yeah, start I think, going, I think some of it too. You got to experiment a little bit. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I know those heavy arrows do not fly well for me. I've never had a good uh, good uh, outcomes with those. I do much better with the lightweight arrows. I get further flatter shooting. Maybe mm-hmm. it has to do with my draw length and all my the combination of my setup. Yeah, um, you, you know everybody shoots a little different. They have a different draw length, different axle to axle. You know, different arrow lengths. Yeah, you know. Brian, if you have any like more specific questions, you can always message me on Facebook, and I can try to help you out, man. Um, all right, let me get that out of there. Thanks again, Brian. Yeah, that uh, it'd be interesting to have a, a long conversation about arrows and stuff. We might when a, Chad's going to come on uh, in the next couple of weeks and, and chat about his that giant deer he killed in Kansas, and we'll probably talk about those arrows because there is some stuff, uh, some details about it that I'm probably not I'm not educated enough on it yet to tell you guys about. So it'd be nice to get him on and explain it to you, especially after he does all this long testing on arrows. I think it'd be a good podcast to talk to him about all that stuff. Um, yeah, he was telling me about some innovations with the arrow, but uh, it goes over my head a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I just briefly, um, he was going to call me and we were going to talk about it before the podcast, but we didn't get around to it today. Um, they have some technology in there that allows the arrow to recover um, from the, you know, archery paradox quicker. Um, and like we, I said earlier, there's some higher quality components that are installed into, into the arrow, um, outside of your typical, like cheap aluminum inserts that you would find in a cheaper arrow. So, uh, yeah. Hey, you mentioned earlier, you had some, uh, I saw a post too on Facebook. I think you had some people starting on your barn finally, huh? Yeah. Yeah. They're working on it. Good deal. Yeah, all the poles went up uh, now, so I've got these giant poles sticking out of the ground uh, 30 feet up in the air. Yeah. Yeah, my barn uh, my barn that I, re- I remodeled it uh, a number of years ago now, but it was my grandpa's. He bought it. He built it in the 70s, and when they came in to rebuild it, all the big the poles were rotten. It was just pretty much sitting on top of the ground, you know. Um, so they had to go in and dig new footers and then they they fixed it without having to do too much work. It wasn't wasn't too bad to get fixed. I mean, it was a little bit of a cost, but it was less than what it would have been now. But <laughs> interesting um, story. When I came home from work uh, yesterday, um, they were here with the equipment, and uh, they have an old diesel truck that uh, 
rumble like my truck rumbles and they're working and i look down in the field and all the raccoons and skunks and possums and stuff are all coming out of the swamp going up to, to them while they're working because they're thinking it's me with food yeah <laughs> carol goes you better say something to them so i went over and said hey guys the animals are friendly and they didn't know what i was talking about and then they looked over to her and they're like what is going on what is going on because <laughs> there's like dozens of raccoons walking up to them but uh <laughs> We thinking, what the heck's going on here? Yeah, but then I, I went and got a bucket of food and uh, I walked down to the swamp and uh I went, come on guys, and they all turned around and were frolicking behind me running. These guys are going, <laughs> what the heck is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> those big like those those raccoons look like you, your raccoons look like they could fit could hardly fit in a fifty five gallon uh, drum. Yeah. Oh, uh, that'd been a sight. Um Guys, I'm just going to like ask questions come in here. We're going to talk about them. Then me and Dan will probably get on some side rants or some stuff I want to talk about also uh, that we got going on next week. Um, but Dan, here's a question for us. Any tips on hunting from the ground? It's a good question. Something we haven't really talked about on this podcast. Yeah, I would, I would say uh, really make sure that you're in a, uh, a good spot. And uh, I mean that in two ways they really spot you fast on the ground. They're looking for danger on ground level, eye level. They're really paranoid at ground level danger. So you really have to blend in well, you know, have, have good front cover. Usually like in a tree, I don't care if there's anything in front of me, as long as I got back cover, they'll look right through you. You know, you can lean into the tree, but on the ground, it seems like you can't get away with that. You have to be hidden really well. That's number one. And number two is you really have to watch air currents. Because at ground level, they, they swirl around a lot more. They don't stay as steady as they do up in a tree and in the air. So you really have to look at thermals, you know, and making sure that, uh, like, if you're hunting in the evening, that it's downhill away from where you're expecting the deer to come from. Um, or that you're up against, uh, you know, like a stagnant, shallow water that'll pull your thermal over. Um, so the setups are key for ground hunting. Um, you really have to... You know, you have to sacrifice more. Like with, with trees, I kind of like to be in the exact spot I need to be in. It's hard to do that on the ground because you don't have the great cover and the right kind of uh, wind current um, aspect to, to fit that in. And ground hunting is, is, is difficult. Um, it's not undoable, but you do lower your odds quite a bit being on the ground. But in some cases, you have to be on the ground. And for some people, trees aren't an option. Um, I got a letter from a, a, a fan today that uh, he talked about he fell out of a tree twice and he just can't hunt out of a tree no more. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't want to tell those people that they, you know, that they're going to, you know, they have to give up hunting or something. Hunting can still be done on the ground. I've killed quite a few good bucks off the ground. I just know that I get busted a lot more percentage wise on the ground. So for me, everything's about percentages. It's about, uh, you know, up in those percentages as much as you can so that when you have an interaction, you kill it, you know? So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm in a tree as often as possible, but, uh, on the ground, that's the, the, the two main ones is that, um, that you really get, you know, into a tangle where you can hide real well, like into a down tree where you can get in between the limbs and stuff, um, where you don't have any kind of swirling wind going back because when they come in, if, you know, if you get a little swirl here and there, he's going to catch that before he gets to you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a old, uh, I don't 
people ask me all the time who makes it. And I don't have a clue who makes it. It's a ghillie suit that I wear when I'm on the ground too. And it, that seems to help quite a bit. I think on the um, ground, it's, that thing's really effective. A ghillie suit. Yeah. And I, sure. and I think another thing that's really helpful is I got like this like bucket hat. That's a ghillie. It's a ghillie that goes with the top. I don't use, I don't wear the bottom usually. Um, and I also have trimmed up like all the crap that's on the left arm for your bow hand or if you're right handed to be your right arm because this stuff gets in the way pretty bad. Uh, but I've, I've shot um, a couple deer on the ground uh, with that thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've shot one. I missed one. But the one yeah, I missed I, wasn't. Another thing about the there. ground is when, when they're coming in, you know, I've noticed that uh, it's a lot harder to notice or hear them on ground level. You hear them more in the trees. You see them coming from a distance in the trees. And they just seem to catch me off guard on the ground a lot. And then to top that, you have a, a limited shooting window because you're in the brush. You're in the thick stuff. Yeah. You know? It's it's a hard knot. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that do it, though. A lot of people like sh- shooting off the ground. So if that's if that's sometimes some places, um, it's your only option sometimes. I mean, to, to well, get some close of the enough. Best- that, that's why I've killed a lot of bucks off the ground is because some of the best spots to hunt bucks are treeless. And that's why the mm-hmm. bucks are there because everybody's hunting out of trees. Yep. So, I mean, it's a give and take. You got to hunt them where they're at and you yep. got to use whatever method you can. That's I prefer right. being in the tree, but in a lot of cases you can't be in a tree at right. all. Right. Good question. Dan, check, check this out. Got someone from Hawaii on tonight. Cool. So shout out to oh, them. Uh, that's a, that's a, uh, that's a long ways from here. I'd like to go to Hawaii sometime and, and do some hunting. Kill My some wife, yeah, or some more of those uh those axis deer that are all over out there. I think that's what they're called. I had a buddy the wild that went, Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I had a buddy that went out and shot one with a longbow. Um which I guess is unheard of. Like I guess they're real cagey. They're pretty hard to kill, I guess, with a bow in general. Um But my wife, I can't remember if it's I think her if she stays at her current company 20 years they pay for a trip to hawaii and uh maybe i'll get to slip off and do some hunting whenever if we go into well she's been working there for six years or so so we've got 14 more years to go but (laughs) um anyways welcome man um then you want to talk about what we're going to do next week sure um lou kind of twisted our arms and said that uh, he needs us in michigan uh so we're going to go do a live show in Michigan. Um, what town is that? It is in Clarkston, Michigan, which I think is like at the start of the thumb kind of thing. Like, okay. however, people from Michigan do it right here-ish, right above Detroit, north of Detroit. We're doing it at a, a restaurant in a hall, and um, he is selling tickets to pay for it. And it's a very limited number of people. I think he said yeah. something like 50 people. Um, yeah, they have room for 50. Including our guests. So um, there's a limited number of tickets, and they're going on sale tomorrow. So if you're in Michigan, want to come to the show live and uh, meet us. And we're going to have a meet and greet for, what, uh, two hours or something beforehand? Yeah, we'll probably, like, I was just talking or texting Lou before here. It's, the place is called Buckshots, by the way, Buckshots Bar and Grill in Clarkston, Michigan. Uh, we'll probably get there around 530 and maybe um, start the show seven or eight ish there's mm-hmm. also uh we say we sell our tickets the reason we're selling tickets because we we're buying dinner for everybody if there's gonna be a dinner there that night 
Um, I think we end up, uh, Lou mentioned $35 a ticket. So that's about what you have to pay to go out to eat anymore. So that's about, yeah, it cost uh, me more than that to go out to eat. Yeah. No kidding. Especially if we got, 60 bucks every time we go on. I know I was telling Maddie that the other day, plus we got Huck now too. So it just keeps on. It's like, if you get under $70, it's like, all right. Yeah. That, um, we got, we got asked to come from, um, I mean, we got, uh, the place set up at Buckshots. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guy, uh, um, supplied our food at the free get together. We did in Michigan, uh, earlier this year. I think it was this year. Wasn't it? Um, yep. and, uh, he supplied the food real good guy. And he was like all about uh, having us at his restaurant and, and, uh, it should be a fun time. Um, yeah. I actually, uh, looking at my numbers, believe it or not, I think I have more fans in Michigan than I do in Wisconsin. Yeah. I think everybody knows me in Wisconsin, but most of them here wave with one finger. Right, right. <laughs> Just a little animosity or something. Uh, oh, that's funny. Um, oh, another thing is, is you guys can, um, I'm going to have, I, bought, I made some hats for the podcast here. You see this one and then this one I got on. I got like a non-structured one that people like, and this is like a trucker hat. So I'm going to have those there. And if you guys want one of these, let me know message me on Facebook. We'll work something out to get you guys one. Um, yeah, we're going to have call-ins too tonight, guys. I will right now while I'm thinking about it, I'm going to copy the link into the comments right now. And so to get on, you just follow that link into the, um, there's a, it's a, it's a web browser called StreamYard and just have to follow the instructions on StreamYard and it'll bring you into the, uh, live show. I'll have to add you into the show. So just be patient with me, especially if we're in the middle of talking um, about something. Uh, also, you're going to be on the screen here. So make sure you're someplace where you have good service and, you know, you don't have something crazy going on in the background. Um, so, yeah, if you guys can make it to the the live show, we're we'll probably put a post out tomorrow about it. Lou's going to put it up on his website and you can buy him through his website then. And we'll see you guys. It's going to be Friday night um next week and the, this this live show will still be happening we're going to live stream it from the restaurant so you guys will still be able to tune in just like normal it's just going to be on friday night so um we got a question uh calling question dan from adam hill hey adam oh adam's connection is not good enough i don't think sorry man um yeah, you gotta have decent decent internet to uh to get on to the um to a stream. So you might be able to get on if he goes inside. Yeah, maybe so. So if you're listening, Adam, yeah, it may try to go inside and and uh try it again. Okay, Dan, here you go. Here's a question for you. You target swamps early season. Uh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, in a perfect world, I like uh, I like swamps early season. I like, um, um, you know, you can get really close to the deer. Uh, you can get in between the food and um, the bedding. Um, you can get within like seventy-five yards of bedded deer. So you get it's a lot easier to get inside the uh, the window of opportunity. And I mean, if you've been watching any of my videos 
Last year was five days into the season in early September when I shot that giant. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yep. That was a swamp, Cattail Marsh, you know. So yeah, I uh, I love swamps early season. I, I I gravitate a little more towards uh, farmland and uh, late season and uh, hill country and rut. You know, um, in a perfect world, no, I can hunt any of them any season. But in a perfect world, it'd be swamps and uh, marshes early season, uh, hills in the rut. Um, when they use certain winds to to look for does. In hill country on, on leeward sides you can really narrow them down um and farm country in late season because they uh they get on one food source and all the deer for miles will be on it um it's kind of hit or miss i mean you can be in a ghost town but if you can find the deer late season is a great time to be in farmland you know so that's how i kind of uh look at it good answer i don't get to hunt a lot of early season swamps so yeah, it's kind of it's kind of cool in Wisconsin because we have like such a wide variety of terrains here in close proximity. I've got some of your major hill country just you know an hour away. Yeah, and I've got uh, farm country all over the place, and I've got swamps and marshes all over the place, and I got big woods just a couple hours north of me. So I got kind of everything right here. Yeah, I may I may end up coming up there early season this year because I don't have. Um, uh, Iowa tag, so I got a little disposable income now for <laughs> tags. Uh, yeah, let's, get, let's get, beat them up. Get up yeah. here and let's just go out there and kill a bunch of deer. I need to price some. Um, someone was telling me the price of meat's real high, so I think I'm gonna stack up some deer this year. Uh, all right, let's try Ooh, Adam one more time. I'm gonna just drive around and pick up road kills. Yeah. <laughs> try Adam one more time here. He tried. He tried to call in a different area. Can you hear us now, Adam? Oh, hey, what's up, guys? Hey, Adam. Hey, uh, how's it going? Here, but gotta give a shout out to Zach. I think Farrenball. Am I pronouncing that right, Gus? Yeah. Yep. Farrenball. He's like the best ground hunter. I enjoy watching him videos when he hunts on the ground. Yeah, um, he's a wild man. <laughs> he just goes for broke. I love him. So, Dan, Josh, too, I kind of want to get your thoughts on this of what you, I guess, how the moon kind of pertains to deer, if you think it has any effect or if it's just kind of, you know, hoopla or if it, you know, if there's something to it. Okay. Um, my opinion on that is that uh, the moon does have an effect. And I think that effect uh, is different in different areas. I've noticed that if I go into hill country of uh, western Wisconsin, 
uh, and low pressure that the moon seems to have a big effect on them. If I'm hunting uh, moon overhead, I get a lot of movement, um, especially in rut. And uh, if I time my sits around that moon overhead, I seem to see more deer. And I did some studies on it when I was uh, hunting up there. And uh, it was interesting because I was seeing about 70% of the daytime movement within that window of the moon phase um, of, of overhead or straight underfoot, um, which I thought was pretty interesting. But when I get back home and I hunt around the swamps and heavy pressure near my house, um, I don't care what the moon's doing at noon. I ain't seeing a deer. I see them at dawn and dusk. And when I see them at dusk, I just, I see maybe a slight increase when it's moon overhead or underfoot. But I do notice that uh, moon overhead or underfoot make a huge difference when I'm out shining or I'm out glassing or during the summertime. Um, so it has an impact, but I don't think that impact is 100%. It's, uh, you know, hit or miss. I got you. So let me ask this, say this. This is the first summer that I've actually put thought into moon or moon positioning, I guess it is. Mm-hmm. There's a spot I can monitor this field all day long and all the deer I see feeding are when the moon is directly underfoot. Mm-hmm. And it seems like no matter what that is, I don't know if there's a correlation with that. It, it's just because I want it to happen. You know what I mean? But it, it just, to me, it seems there's too much going on there. You know what I mean? As far as mm-hmm. there's got to be something, something with that moon thing. I'm, I'm all new to it. Yeah. So yeah, we've done studies with trail cameras too, and uh, it shows the same thing. I mean, it it would sh- it would show uh, an increase in uh, in movement with mature deer. You know, in that in that moon phase time, but. For me, most of the time when it was uh, accurate was when that moon phase was in normal hunting hours. So say like the, when you get that moon underfoot or overhead, that last hour of daylight, that's a day you probably want to hunt in the evening. You know, but I don't know that you're going to get a mature buck to walk around at noon and go through his, you know, his pattern at noon because the moon's overhead, you know. Yeah, I think that goes back to the whole different animal, though. Mm-hmm. You know, that goes. Also, last thing, Josh, I seen uh, you didn't get your Iowa tags. Does that mean you're coming to Southern Indiana? I live. I, I live in Southern Indiana, man. I go there every year. Southern, Southern. Who's your hills, man? I'm here to, who's your national? I'm sorry. Come on down, man. Here's your. So. <laughs> yeah, man. I yeah. Uh, I live right in the middle of Hoosier National. Well. Sounds like I need to come up there. <laughs> I might. I might. <laughs> what? Uh, what? Yeah. Adam, what county? Maybe. Like, yeah. What county do you live in, Adam? I live in Dubois. Okay, I live in Jackson County. Yep. So. Yep. So when I, I say Southern, yeah. So anyway, yeah, guys, yeah, yeah. on the show. So thanks, guys. Catch you guys All right, thanks, week. Adam. Have a good hey, one, man. Good, good, good question. That moon is a hot topic for some people, man. Some people just that they they hunt by it, you know. Um, you've done more. You, you know, when uh, you hunt the when you hunt beds, I mean, I noticed that they come out a little earlier or something on the moon phases, but it really doesn't matter if the deer's bedded where it's supposed to be bedded and it comes out. 
I'm usually within that window to kill it anyways. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, 20 minutes after dark or 23 minutes after dark, or I mean before dark, you know. Yeah. I'm, and I don't know, maybe I'm out of line for saying this, but a lot of the people that you hear talk really heavily about the moon, they seem to be more of those private land hunters that, yeah. you know, have real nice food plots and stuff. And yeah, but it probably makes a difference. Like, yeah, they probably come to those food plots earlier and stuff. I was kind of um, alluding to that when I said in the low pressure areas, I see a difference. Yeah. High pressure, I'm not, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think if you can optimize your chances in any way marginally at all if you can figure something out i'd go for it you know um i'm not a guy though that, like i'm not hunting less the moon dry you know that's not right. my you, you know you know the way i look at it you, you know if you look at me i'm hunting every day i can so i mean yeah. it's almost every day of the season but what yeah. i'm doing is i'm looking at the advantages i have i might take the, i might look at that moon and say oh they're moving a little earlier because of the moon there's this one spot where I can only get like 125 yards from the bed. And it's kind of iffy if the deer will get that far. He might get that far on this day. You know, or yeah. when a cold comes in. You know, or I'm looking at the wind because, okay, now it's real windy. There's, you know, otherwise that deer would probably see me moving through that thick brush when I'm getting there because there's a little bit of a view from the bed. But with this wind and everything moving, I can slip in there on a windy day. Or there's another place where it's really loud, but I can get in there when it's raining because the leaves aren't going to crunch. You know, um, so I'm always looking at the advantage and moon phase is just one more little advantage. It's not huge, not huge at all, but I do believe it makes a difference. I've seen evidence that it makes a difference. I've also seen studies that show it doesn't, but those studies I think are done on pressured areas. And, yeah. I, and yeah. I do think it makes a difference in different areas. You, you know what I mean? It depends on where you're at. I don't see much of a difference at all on moon phase, very little where I live. But when I went and did studies on it in the hill country, where there's low pressure, yeah, it made a huge difference. So take it for what it's worth. Yeah. All right. We got another call in here. Jimmy, can you hear us? I can hear you. Hey, hey man. Hey. hey. I just want to say uh, thanks to Dan for answering my questions the other day. But no I, did have a, I did have a question for him, though. So say I got a cornfield and I got this steep hill. It's literally five feet from the edge of the corn. And it's a steep hill. It goes down into the swamp and the hill is probably 40 yards. So I know in the morning my thermals are going to rise up toward that cornfield. And in the evenings they're going to go down in that swamp. So how exactly would you hunt that? Um, I would determine where the bugs are bedding coming from and I'd look for some sort of window in there. So what you're alluding to is that the bucks are coming out of the swamp, your thermals dropping down during the evening, right? I'd probably look at that as hunting for the evening. I'd probably want to get on that swamp edge and I would look for some sort of crosswind or something. And I'd look for a trail that's coming in on a certain angle. And I would look for being able to get to a point where my scent isn't going to hit that trail. You know, there's some bend in that trail or some place in that trail or some way that that deer's coming in where I can get to where it, my thermal current or wind ain't going to hit them. Yeah, there's literally two tra two trails that come down that hill. And they're probably about 15 yards apart, and then they form into one that go right into that swamp. Mm -hmm. So my other question is, do you think fog 
keeps your thermals down toward the ground more or no? Fog? Yes. Yeah, I would probably look at that as like like shade. It's probably probably like when uh, uh, ground shaded, it would probably be uh, dropping thermal. So towards the ground, yeah, I would think so. I thought maybe if I got in there with a, I mean, a foggy morning, that it would kind of like keep my scent right straight down to the ground more. So you're so looking for deer coming out in the morning, going back into the swamp. Ah, uh, yes, that's what they do. They come out of the swamp in the evening to feed, then they, yeah, in the mornings they go back down in the swamp. Yeah, it's kind of harder with the with the mature bucks to beat them. You know, a lot of times they're going to be down in that swamp, especially that distance that you gave before it's daylight. So I think it'd be easier to kill them in the evening. Than all right, that's all I had. Thank you for all right. time, guys. Thanks, Jimmy. You're all welcome. Right, thanks for Thank calling you. in. All right, I'm going to take one question from the chat, and then we'll get to our next uh, next caller there. There we go. Okay. This will be a – what's the most difficult state or area of the country that you have hunted? Hmm. You may go first. I can give a, a decent yeah, answer. So I hunted uh, a couple years ago in Northeast Ohio, which Ohio is kind of known for being a good state, you know, but man, up there, there was people everywhere up there. There was a lot of Amish men up there hunting. Um, and I went during late season and it was tough. Like they were doing deer drives everywhere. There was, you know, there'd be 15 Amish guys, families on every property pushing deer around. And I just, I mean, it was tough up there and that's, it's up around where Chad, those guys from Exodus are from, and those guys don't even, they won't even hunt up there anymore. Hardly. Um, that there's gotten so, so many, uh, it's a big Amish community. Um, and you know, he, they hunt down in Southern Ohio. So, um, that was my, one of my toughest hunts was in, in Northeast Ohio. Um, yeah, it's, so. it's hard for me cause I always find a good in everything, but, uh, yeah. I think the hardest hunting I've had is probably in central Wisconsin. Hmm. Um, where there's heavy pressure, um, small swamps, and not a lot of big deer. Um, that central area w was real, rough, real difficult to find uh, find big bucks and, and hunt them without running into people. Um, but I don't know. You could throw anything at me. I'd, I'd find a deer to go after. Yeah. I mean, I just kind of look for the good in it. Um, I was kind of surprised with Ohio too, because uh, I expected Ohio to be an easier nut. You know, you hear all that stuff about Ohio, and I thought I'd go in there and just kill one real easy. Yeah, uh, which I didn't. I mean, I got on deer, but it took some yeah. more took more work than I thought. You know. Yeah, and I think there's a big difference between Southern Ohio and Northern Ohio too. Uh, I think specifically the Northeast. I think it's a little, a lot more populated, a lot, a lot less public land too. Yeah, that's everywhere. I mean, a lot of people will say, you know, like, like that I'm from Wisconsin, so I got it made, you know. Right. Really, the the best area of Wisconsin is more of that, uh, you know, southwestern area or western Wisconsin. I mean, we've got some good hunting where I'm at, but it's mostly on private because of the number of people and pressure around here. Um, the good hunting on public is in in uh, west and southwest in Wisconsin. It's every place you get. I mean, there's pockets of good areas and there's pockets of bad areas. I mean, there's places in Iowa you wouldn't want to draw a tag. Yep. 
I I was I had some um, ground, uh, some public ground up there in Northeast uh, Ohio, and there was like bicycles parked everywhere. And, you know, it was Amish boys and men hunting. Um, so I had a I had a friend that had a little farm up there, and I ended up going there. And I was supposed to be the only one there, and I I sat there uh, one morning, and I got down. I, and when I got down, I walked out into the cornfield, out from the swamp into the cornfield. And there was a guy standing in the cornfield with a gun, uh, muzzleloader during muzzleloader season. And I walked up to him and I could tell he was an Amish man. And he was like, he goes, Oh, how are you doing? You know, real super nice to me. And I'm like, good. I said, I said and I, I was not local and for all I knew, whatever, I wasn't going to start anything with them about them not being, you know, uh, supposed to be there. And he's like, Oh, we're doing a deer drive on We do this whole block. And you know, my brother is over here and my, my dad's over here and my two boys are over here and they end up having like six guys spread out in this little bitty, like 40 acre farm. And then me, I was sitting in the swamp, but I, um, it was, it was tough. There's a lot of, a lot of hunters up there, but it was fun. I mean, there's definitely big deer up there and I'm probably gonna go up there again this year and hunt. But, uh, anyway. All right. Now let's get our caller in here. Hey guys, Jacob. Hey. How's it going, man? Hey, if the fishing is starting before, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jake. Hey, if the hunting is so dang good in southwest Wisconsin, you guys might as well hop on over if you lost your Iowa opportunity. Oh, I'll be over there. I get over okay. there every now and then. Good. I gotta I gotta publicly give you crap for it now. Um, <laughs> but my question was um I was listening to the Exodus podcast the other day. I believe it was Shane Parker. It's a guy that does a big study with trail cameras part of I uh, a university study he had 170 trail cameras on 800 acres. Um, and he said one of the things he saw a really surprising correlation with was dew point and air humidity. He said that um, there was a point where when there was more humidity in the air and the dew point kind of signified that, then he had a lot more mature buck movement in daylight. And he thought that was because they could smell better. Have you seen any correlations with that over the years at all? With the, with the dew point? Yeah, I, I, I think it might have an effect on how how much they move and how early they move in daylight because they can smell better when it's when the dew points higher. But mm -hmm. uh, other than that, I really haven't um, noticed anything. I've noticed nothing that would affect my hunting or the way I hunt. Right. Yeah. The, the way that we're kind of hunting is like we're close enough if they're going to move anyways. But uh, Josh, what about you with that? Um. Yeah. I mean, I haven't done any studying myself on it. I, I mean, we used to, we used to run uh, beagle dogs and it seemed like they'd be able to smell better. Like Dan said, whenever there was moisture or whatever dew point was, was higher, I guess you would say. So mm -hmm. it doesn't like, doesn't surprise me, I guess. I think it would make a little bit of sense with, I refreshing scrapes after light rains, I guess I saw was more of a pattern last year than refreshing scrapes after heavy rains. And I thought that was really weird. Um, I had a camera that I just let soak all year without touching it on a scrape that was open in April. Um, and I, I found that they refreshed it a lot more often after a light rain or like a foggy day than they did after a really heavy rain. So I almost was wondering if that just makes the scent stick in the air better or if they can extract a little more from the ground with that. But I just always thought it was interesting. I wanted to see if you guys uh seen that too. So I haven't, I haven't listened to that podcast yet. I'm a little behind. It's, so. it's really good. He does a two-part series. It's There's a there's one episode. Uh, it's the first one. It's Paul Patera, 
um, and he hunts Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York area, and uh, Shane Parker on it, and they bounce back and forth some really cool stuff. Um, and then there's one in between, and then there's the second part of that series. Hmm. Um, so it's it's pretty good. Uh, actually, you know what? I think it's a Southern Outdoorsman. I think that's what that one is on. My bad. I said Exodus. Yeah, it's Southern Outdoorsman. But um, hmm. but yeah. So thanks thanks for answering, guys. Appreciate. All right, it. man. Take her easy. Thanks. Okay. Um, sometimes I think people overthink things a little bit on this deer hunting stuff. I don't know about you, Dan, but yeah, you, you uh, know, um, yeah, I mean, uh, really to me, um, that might have a, a, a slight difference. Number one, uh, number two, um, that hasn't been tested by a bunch of people in a bunch of camera studies in a bunch of areas, you know, um, not scientifically either. It's just something somebody noticed. Um, and number three, how does it help you? You know, maybe, I mean, if, if they're moving like crazy during that dew point, yeah. Okay. But, yeah. uh, for, it might help somebody who hunts rut funnels, you know, but for me, that's not really a big deal. I'm hunting bedding for mature animals usually. And, uh, I don't think that that's something that's helped me a lot. I, I would want to see it firsthand myself to see it. Yeah. But I do think that there's some potential there for him to move, but you're right. You start overthinking if you start dialing in all this stuff that you're getting, even with the, you know, with the um, moon phase, you dial in, uh, okay, what's the dew point doing? What's the fronts doing? What's, and pretty soon you're uh, like all confused and where you're supposed to go, you know? Yeah. I think just getting yeah. down to the basics is better. You know where the big bucks bed and when they bed there and why, and just getting in the back door where they're gonna come out and tell yep. them what to do. I'm not I'm not smart enough to keep track of all that stuff. I I just would I just go hunt and try to kill one. Um, I'm not saying it can't help somebody. I'm just saying yeah, be a bit yeah, much. Yeah. Uh, all right. I just had a question here and I lost it. Sorry, guys, all my, where was that question? It was a pretty good question. All right, I'll just summarize it because I remember it. Okay, he was asking if um, you've ever had any uh, luck or thoughts about if you have a piece of private that kind of has access, an access road down the middle of it, if you if it's a good idea um, to drop people off in vehicles to um, minimize, like, foot traffic scent. Um hmm. And if you thought that was an effective or, or a bad idea to like, you know, drive a vehicle through a farm. Hmm. Well, yes and no. It depends if that's something that happens on a regular basis. If vehicles go through there all the time, they'll be okay with it. Yeah. If they don't, they're not. Um, what I can say is deer get used to human travel areas. They get used to human trails to get used to roads, things like that. And they know what they're for. Um, what they don't like is when you change something up, like one day you come in from the side, you know, and they don't like that. Not to say you don't do that, but you do that one day and then they're onto it and they're freaked out. Right. But, uh, I've, you know, I think it was the last, I don't know, just recently, I don't, I'm not sure if it was on the show or not. Uh, cause I did some other podcasts, but, um, I talked about, uh, that 15 pointer I shot just recently and, um, uh, um, I kept walking on this dirt road and a lot of people walked on this dirt road. It was a farm access road. 
And when I get back in the uh, woods, I could glass this buck, get out of his bed 100 yards from that farm access trail and cross it. And uh, he'd stop, smell where people walked, and just not even bother with it and keep walking. Sometimes he wouldn't even show any attention. But people would, you know, kids would ride their bicycles up and down that. People would walk. The farmer would drive his tractor up that. Paid no attention. And I see this all the time. It's not just this one buck, but I'm using him for an example. One day I went down that trail. And I got to where he crossed and I had been just struggling with how to kill this buck because he was bedding under this willow tree. That was this big, massive tree that was all alone. And it was all open grass around it. West wind blew in from the trail that we walked in. So he's smelling you when you're walking that road too. He's only a hundred yards from you. And one day I walked in there and I was struggling with how to kill him. And there's a little patch when you get in line with him of cattails. You know, not very big, you know, maybe 10 feet around, but it was thick enough that it blocked his vision to that trail. And I took and I walked down into that. It was an overgrown pasture um, and the fence was broken down there because there hadn't been cattle in there in years. And I walked in in down his trail when I got to where his tracks crossed that dirt road and walked in about 10 yards, looked at it and then looked around. And I'm like, no, nope, there's nothing I can really do. Turned around, went back to that trail, and walked back. And that day when I glassed that buck, get out of his bed and hit that trail, when he hit where I walked 10 feet from that road, he freaked. Hmm. He just came unglued and ran out of there. When every day, 10 feet further, he'd smell me. And he's yeah. okay. But when I walked 10 feet off that trail, that freaked him out. So those trails, making an access trail is not necessarily a bad thing. It was bad as if, if uh, that trail's always walked. And then one day you drive down it with a car and then you stop frequently and let people out. I mean, yeah. if that happened all the time, I don't think that's a big deal. But you got to remember, too, a lot of times they're bedded close enough that they're watching those access trails. Mm-hmm. Even though you think nobody, no deer are around it because it's, you know, in the middle of the open and, you know, this isn't where a deer is going to bed or whatever. They purposely bed in a spot where they can watch those spots. So they'll see you letting people out. Um, but I'm not saying that's a bad idea. I'm just saying you have to consider those things. You have to think about it. You have to think about what you can get away with and why and how often a car uses that trail, how often people walk that trail. Um, if maybe you should use a bicycle. Um, there's a lot of options there. Um, there's the option too of coming in from the side, but you get one or two cracks before you really freak them out, you know, Mm -hmm. walking the outside perimeters. You got any thoughts Uh, on that? Yeah. No, I would, I would, I mean, echo everything you said. And, um, I don't know. I, I think they, uh, they're probably smart enough to figure out, uh, at least a mature deer is probably smart enough to figure out there's something uh, suspicious going on, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I think you got to find it. If you only have one, I think I remember the question, if he said he only had one access and man, you got to just find another way to get in there, in my opinion, instead of, um, you know, then you got to find someone to drop you off and pick you up. And I don't know. It just, to me, I, I just don't, I don't see it working that often. So, uh, in my so book. You've seen Dave's farm, haven't you, Josh? No, I've never been there other than on the, the channel. Okay. So Dave's farm has one axis. You're mm-hmm. coming with the wind of your back on a West wind right into the farm. Kind of yeah. sucks, but it's a narrow uh, farm, narrow and long. So you're coming in, it's the same axis all the time, right? 
Well, what you find out real quick is, is a lot of the better bucks will sit off to the side in the tree lines and just watch that axis. So you, you lose before you even start. So yeah. what I've learned is instead of parking in the same spot in the driveway and walking out, like, like you're assuming, like most people would say, there's only one axis, Dan. I can walk a far tree line and, and do a circle. You know, it's, it's not that far off, but it's far enough off that I'm out of the, the sight window. Um, but I can only get away with that so much before I'm really buggering the place up. But uh, sometimes it's that odd hunt that you throw at it, that you kill the thing when he's off guard. Yep, for sure. Your farm's kind of like that too. Um, that farm that uh, you had me on. I mean, that's a huge farm, but it's got kind of like singletary axes and it's open. So you have to kind of watch how you access that too. Yep. Yeah. And this year I got permission from that farm to the, west of it so i can come in from that farm now too so i i can kind of work my depending on the wind or whatever and sometimes it's a shorter walk to come in from the other way so um, now you have the same advantages all your uh, trespassing poachers have yep good that's right <laughs> that's where they all come in from that farm yeah. so um yeah i don't know if it'll be any better but we'll find out um be the first year i kind of mess with it a whole lot all right another question here have you ever hunted in wolf territory? And if you did, how did you go about it? I have not. So Dan's going to take this one over. Yeah, I have hunted in wolf territory quite a bit. Um, it's never really affected me uh, in a different way. I, um, I hunt it the same as if there was no wolves. Um, the only thing that uh, I see that's different is um, most of the time when hunting wolf territory, I see a lot more midday movement from mature deer that I don't normally see otherwise. And, uh, I have a theory on that, but it's a theory. I mean, I, I'm not a deer. I can't answer for them, but I think the reason they're moving midday is because they're hunted all night long by wolves. Hmm. So, um, but I, I do see quite a bit more midday movement when I get into uh, wolf territory. Yep. I'm never out in wolf territory. So, um, we even, you know, I'm not very far from wolf territory, so right. we have uh, well-established packs in, in, within two hours, probably an hour and 45 minutes to, to get to them. Um, and there's even, uh, there's a roadkill wolf uh, a mile from my house um, a few years back. And there was one that was shot in the swamp behind my house uh, by somebody coyote hunting. It was uh, incidental. Really? So, yeah, there's even wolves close to home, you know. Yeah. You think, I mean, is that something that used to not happen and it's happening more recently or is it? Uh, yeah. Wolves are really increasing in Wisconsin because, um, um, without pissing off too many of your viewers, li liberals have been, uh, uh, fighting wolf hunts and, uh, yeah. you know, they, yeah, they yeah. want to hug them. They don't want to hunt them. And, uh, you know, they want the wolves to just eat apples, you know, and be happy. Right. And that don't happen that way. So our wolves are increasing dramatically. And at the same time, I think that they got their numbers off. And uh, yeah. I'm not just saying that to be cliche. I mean, you hear the hunters that are mad that just say, there's millions of wolves in this city, there's only 800 or, you know, but um, I see it on my trail cameras and stuff. Like when, when I bear hunt um, Black River Falls, there's only supposed to be a small number of bears or wolves there. But I was running at one time, I was running uh, 15 uh, baits with cameras. 
and I had way more wolves than bears hitting my bear baits. Um, the, the bears would open it up and then packs, packs of wolves would come in. And there's one, one bait in particular that I had, um, you know, over 20 di different wolves. Um, I had white ones and black ones and ones with different colorings coming in. It was crazy. Um, so that wolf population is increasing dramatically here. And there's going to be a point where something's got to give. Or, hmm. You know, we, right now we got people up north that are saying they can't even find deer anymore where it used to be real plentiful because the wolves are just uh, devastating the population. So even the biologists, everybody is, is hoping for a season. Now, I don't hate wolves or dislike them. I mean, you hear people say, you know, uh, shoot shovel and shut up, you know, the right. three others. But I don't I don't think I think you should follow the laws. But the laws right. should allow some hunting for wolves and there should be a maintained population. That's a that's a certain number. I mean, we're maintaining everything else. We should maintain wolves. Right. Yeah, I think Wisconsin is not the only state dealing with that right now. Right. Um, I think any any place that has wolves is going through the, the wolves is going to the same um, exact issue. Um, so I was going to pop this question up is how, how would you hunt early season in hill country? We did like a whole podcast on this, uh, about a month ago with, uh, Jake Bush. Um, so you guys may want to go back and review that if you're hunting hill country early season this year, Dan and Jake both went into a lot of detail on, uh, on hill country. Unless, unless Dan, you want to tackle that, uh, tackle that topic right now uh, well for me it's usually about acorns and um it can be really difficult with a good acorn crop but uh, getting in really close to bedding really you know that's the thing and understanding how deer bed in uh in uh hill country is the important thing but uh that could be a whole show and it was a whole show you should yeah. probably go back and watch that show mm -hmm. all right loosen this in Typical Lou question right here. What's the smallest deer you have ever shot? I said, I think I have you beat, but I would like to hear your take. Mine was bigger than a rabbit. <laughs> How about yours? Well, I got uh, um, two of them I'll mention. Uh, number one um, was a buck I shot at Dave's that I thought was a doe. Um, I did, a, I did a, a story about it. I never did a video on it, but I did a story on it. Um, it came across this field. And I thought it was a big doe. It was alone, and I shot it, and it turned out to be a buck. And uh, it was a two-and-a-half-year-old buck. Um, the antlers were less than an inch long. And uh, he had big bases, but they just barely came out. And I think what had happened, uh, he had a big scar on him, and he had one lung. And the other mm. lung was uh, just this pussy, nasty, smelly pile of gook that was inside of his chest i don't even know how that thing was alive but obviously that uh that that thing had been one lunged the year prior and that was the first deer i ever saw that survived uh, a one lung hit um the reason that was a unique story is because when i uh, left there i was hunting alone and uh i got stuck in the snow and i was revving back and forth trying to get the um old old pickup truck out of the snow it was a two by four truck so it didn't have four wheel drive. And when it finally took, I went flying up onto the road and then I had to slam on the brakes to not go flying off the other side. 
And what I didn't realize is my tailgate had popped open and uh, the deer went flying out. And then I drove all the way home. Or no, actually, I went straight to registration. This back in the days of registering deer. And I go in the back and everything's missing. My tree stand, my rifle, the deer. Oh, oh, no. So I turn around and I fly all the way back to the farm. And there lays the deer and a couple of items. But my, uh, I had a, I had a, also had a tub that was full of camera gear and stuff. And I was like, oh no, uh, you know, and the only thing laying there was the deer. So I threw the deer in the truck and then I drove real slow back. And I knew this stuff should have been in the road when I drove back and it wasn't. And then all of a sudden I noticed my rifle leaning up against a fence in somebody's yard and footprints. So somebody had come along and saw the rifle laying in the snow, picked it up and put it against the fence for me to find a little further down. There's my camouflage um, onesie suit hanging from a limb. And a little further down, there's my bin of camera gear off on the sidewalk, you know, uh, right in town. So uh, whoever came down that road next was a nice person. I was sorry, um, it sounds like you got lucky. The other deer um, might have had slightly bigger antlers. And I probably should have got this deer mounted, but I didn't. Um, I'm a lot more proud of it now than I was when I shot it. Yeah. But uh, um, it's a weird story that doesn't sound believable, but I'll say it anyways. I was coming out from a hunt, and I saw this uh, little deer. And I was thinking it was a, a fawn, but I could see a big neck on it, you know, in comparison to its body. And uh, I was thinking, well, it's got to be a doe, but it looked, it looked a little weird, like just misshaped. And when I got close to it, it turned and started running straight at me. I don't know why. And I had a doe tag and I was thinking about shooting it at the time when I saw it. And when it ran at me, I drew the bow. And when it got to about 10 steps, I shot it alongside of its head into its shoulder and, and the arrow went completely into the deer, into the hindquarters. And the deer hit me in the legs and knocked me over. And uh, it had, uh, it turned out to be a mature buck that was stunted um, um, and it was it was like uh, 50 or 60 pounds but it had uh, antlers that curled around like a ram really um, yeah I still got the antlers laying here someplace to who knows where but um, I do got a story about it on, a, on a, uh, with pictures on the uh, website form on the, in the hunting articles it's called the midget freak <laughs> politically uh, incorrect but uh right a long, long time ago when i when i shot that right but when it wasn't in, was when it wasn't politically incorrect it was yeah so how about you what's your smallest buck uh i found a picture of it here i was digging around my computer while you were telling your story there dan uh here i can show you guys i'll tell you the story i'm sharing it here it just takes a second So that's my smallest deer I've ever killed is a Kentucky 11 pointer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I shot it with a longbow, but, uh, yeah, we were, this is, uh, do what? You start crying or anything when you shot it? <laughs> you look so bad. Hey, I was proud of it. It was, that was, I was, uh, I may have killed a deer with a longbow, uh, before that one, but maybe not. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. 
Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Um, yeah, we we cut canoed into a, uh, an area like first week of September and uh, two little bucks came out and I ended up shooting this one. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was quite smaller than what I thought it was from the stand. Um, but yeah, it was little, it was little, it tasted good though. It's easy to get out of the, um, get back to the boat too. So that was a, that's why I shot it. I did, I wanted to make it easy on me and my buddy that were hunting together. Mm. Um, yeah, it's more of a challenge anyways. Those little deer are a challenge. They're hard to hit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I honestly felt kind of bad after I, uh, I got it, but nothing you can do. I mean, once you once you do something like that, you got to tag it and, and move on. And it was with a long bow. So I feel like, you know, I was going to shoot any buck essentially. So I held true to my, uh, um, <laughs> to my, uh, my promise to myself. I just wanted to get a tag on in Kentucky field. So, you know, there's people that give you crap for that, but a lot of times you really can't tell. I mean, I've shot in deer and, and been shocked to find out you shot a fawn on accident or something. I mean, it's not yeah. very often, but every now and then, you know, you yeah. just see something a little different and you end up with something like that. And all you can do is just smile and laugh and put your tag on it and, and say, you know, we're really, we're out there for meat anyways, you know? And, yep. And it looks, it looks pretty good eating. Yeah. It was, it was real good eating. Um, nope. Yep. I ate every, uh, piece of him and, and had a smile on my face and, like I said, it was when traditional archery was pretty new to me and I was, I was pretty excited to just get one with it, you know, um, even if it was a, a fawn, but yep. I, one of my pet peeves is when people beat up other hunters for shooting something small. It's like Mm -hmm. those deer, um, those deer live a pretty hard life and more than likely that deer right there was probably going to die that year. I mean, just statistically speaking, they probably do, you know, Mm -hmm. from, either a coyote eating from the back to the front or, uh, um, getting EHD or, um, whatever, you know, another hunter shooting him that year. So between cars and, uh, and, uh, lead, lead poisoning, uh, the majority of deer get killed before they, you reach two years old around me. But once they hit that yep. two years old, they're more likely to live and die of natural causes or something later on. Yep. Um, they got to hit that pinnacle where they've learned how to survive all that crap. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I was proud of him, proud enough of him to take a picture of him. It's one of my first ones with a longbow. But anyway, so there you go, Lou. Thanks for bringing that up. Lou's a small deer killer. He'd know all about it. We should get him yeah. on here to tell us what his smallest deer is. Yeah. Yeah, I may have beat him there. I don't know. That was pretty small deer. Uh, all right. Moving on. Have you ever used the added pressure of opening day of duck season or pheasant season to your advantage with deer getting pushed out of the areas people don't normally go? How about you, John? Um, I did a little bit in Nebraska. Um, it, we don't have a lot of duck hunters around here. I mean, we got some, but it's not not like it is in some other states. Um, and we don't have pheasant hunt. We don't have pheasants in southern Indiana, not very many. So, um those two specific things we don't really have a, have to worry about in Indiana, but 
uh, when I was in Nebraska, there was pheasant hunters everywhere and, um, the deer really got concentrated down by like the, uh, the rivers and stuff where, uh, the pheasants were out in the CRP field, or the pheasant hunters were out in the CRP field. So I really, uh, it really concentrated the deer. I don't know, like the, I don't know if it necessarily made it any easier to get on big deer for me to, uh, over in Nebraska. Um, but I definitely started seeing more deer once the pheasants hunters started hitting the CRP fields or grass fields, whatever they call them out there. It's, so for me, it's more of an interesting answer. So, um, I've hunted quite a bit on openers of pheasant and duck hunting for deer. And for years, I would try to capitalize on pressure moving the deer. And I never, ever killed a mature deer on that pressure. I can't even remember seeing one because of that pressure. However, I have killed deer because of pheasant hunting and because of duck hunting. I know it. Because kind of as Josh alluded to, it puts those deer in certain areas, pressurizes them. So like when I take a marsh that has duck hunting and pheasant hunting, like the one near my house, all of a sudden one day you fill that whole marsh up, all the islands, all the perimeters and stuff with duck hunters. And you push those deer back. Well, at the same time, you feel all the CRP and the outer and the grass with deer hunters who push the deer in. And those deer start bedding in the in-between and there's less bedding areas and pressure has always made hunting better for me. But what I see is, is those deer hunker down and hide. They know mature bucks, especially know how to deal with added pressure. When pressure suddenly comes in, kind of like gun season, everybody thinks you're going to go sit in a funnel and huge bucks are going to run through because all these deer hunters are going to go in there and chase them past you. And it just doesn't work that way. Uh, if it did, people would have walls full of big bucks because a lot of people hunt that way. Yeah. I've never killed a big buck on uh, opening day of pheasant or opening day of duck. But what I have done is move to pressure areas and two or three days later saw a lot more deer and killed deer in areas where I felt that the pressure was going to put them. Case in point, um, there's one island I can think of that's in a small marsh that really it's a marsh with an island in the middle and grassy land around the outside. There's no duck hunting there, but there is pheasant hunting. They release pheasants there. And I noticed that that island had a primary bedding area on it. And hit or miss, you could get action on there all season. But over the years with trail cameras and with hunting, I've noticed that three days after pheasant hunting opens, is like the peak time. Like not the day pheasant hunting opens, but the next day you start seeing an increase in deer in there. And about the third day after you really see the bigger stuff show up there. So knowing that I started hunting there that third day after pheasant season went open and I started having success in killing deer because of it. However, I went beyond that. And there was a point where I wanted that island to be good at a different time of the year. And so what I did was I mimicked that pheasant pressure. Now, all the deer that bedded in that marsh, now they didn't bed out in the CRP grass where the pheasant hunters were. And they didn't bed in the water in the cattails. They either bedded on that island or they bedded in the, the thin line of dogwood and tamarack and brush that went around the perimeter of that bowl, that cattail bowl, right? 
So literally what I did was for like two days straight during the day, I walked through all those bedding areas. Now I didn't hunt those bedding areas because there were a bed here, a bed there, and it was nothing really set up where I'd have a good high success chance. But somewhere in there, the bucks were right in one of those beds. So I'd walk that perimeter for a day, kick all those deer through there. And then I'd do it again the next day. And then I'd wait a day and go hunt that island, and I'd get a hunt just like I did during, the, you know, three days mm. after the season. So um, that's my take on it. I, I don't think you're going to do really well hunting the pressure from pheasant hunters. But I do think making chess moves instead of those uh, aggressive moves like, okay, they're going to push them today. I think those chess moves are more likely to push you on a deer. I'm not saying you can't go out there and get on a deer because they push them to you. I'm just saying I think it's lower odds than you think. Yep. Okay. Um, we're going to answer some more questions here, but uh, there's a button in the bottom right. You guys see it says subscri subscribe to win. Um, I forgot to mention that earlier, and it's probably a good thing I do it. Said it right now because there's a lot more people on. But uh, so we're once this channel hits 5,000 subscribers, hunting beast gear uh, is going to help us out, and they're going to let me give away a set of mini beast sticks. So that's what that so subscribe to win arrow is for is to, to subscribe uh, to the channel. That's how that's how you get to win. And I was looking at my analytics, I don't want to, I, I never, I haven't looked at the hunting beast analytics uh, about this, but like. The views I have on this channel, only 30% of them are subscribed. So, um, have you ever looked at that, Dan? No. Yeah, I haven't either, but it's interesting. You know, I, uh, the trouble with it is a lot of people don't have um, YouTube accounts. Account. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's probably true. Subscriptions help out a lot. So, you guys, if you do have an account, hit the subscribe button. You know, even if you don't care if you're subscribed, because it it helps Josh with the analytics and stuff and such, and that's why he's asking for that. Yeah, because that's what you get paid on. Uh, that's how he he gets paid for his show is through YouTube, and it's based on the number of subscribers and the the amount of traffic and stuff. So mm -hmm. subscribing subscribing helps helps yeah. on my channel helps on his. Yep, essentially it tells YouTube that people like your stuff, so then they're gonna be more apt to promote it more to people that search the hunting public or whatever, you know, then there's a, there's a better likelihood of something that me and Dan are doing pop up uh, because of those searches. All right. Dan and Josh, what is your favorite venison recipe? Mm. Josh is way better than that than I am because uh, I ate venison at Josh's house. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm uh, going to drive down there tonight to eat that again. But, I, uh, uh, my favorite yeah. one, um, real quick uh is on my youtube page um you can you can view it there and uh sooner or later josh is going to shoot another deer and he's going to put his on mine uh too because i've asked him to because it yep. was so incredible but mine is just basically i um i cut up a bunch of vegetables mostly like hot peppers because i like hot stuff yeah and zucchinis and um, green peppers and onions and uh, uh all kinds of crap and i cook that um, in a pan of butter, it's a butter <laughs> yeah. and a lot of salt, you know, make it real healthy. Um, this, the, the main trick is to do everything you can to take those vegetables and make them unhealthy. That's what makes them good. 
Right. And, and then uh, <laughs> while that's cooking, because it takes the vegetables longer, I cube up uh, venison steak, um, preferably chops, but you don't always have chops. It can be any kind of steak. So I cube it in like um, inch to inch and a half cubes. And then I, um, once the vegetables are cooked, I put those cubes in there, cover it up, and just cook it for a few minutes until it's still red in the inside. And then it's it's almost like a stew with the butter and stuff boiling in there. And oh, it's just awesome. I love it. But uh, Josh's recipe on that backstraps, that's what you should tell him. Oh my God, was that good? Yeah, I, I'm pretty, um, I don't talk about it very much, but I'm like, I'm pretty passionate about like uh, wild game meat. Like I'm very, like we call like Stephen Ranella S. Like I, I really get into it. Um, and I've gotten pretty good over, you know, over the last several years, several years of cooking it. Um, yeah, I like to, like, I'll take a, a piece of backstrap, marinate it in whatever you really want. Uh, a lot of times I'll do like a dry rub of, of salt, pepper, pur- paprika or paprika, whatever the, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, oregano, I'm trying to think what else I put in like garlic powder, um, onion flakes. Um, and I'll marinate that for. Uh, a day and then throw it on a smoker uh, or excuse me, throw it on a cast iron. That's like steaming hot to where like if you uh, sprinkle something in it, it would bubble with some butter and then I would, I'll sear it and then put it on the smoker for um, a little while. And it usually comes out real tender and real love of flavor. That's my favorite way of doing it. But I mean, I use, I I'll do, I'll use the shank of a deer to make stuff and, um, heart, liver, I've done all, all, everything and kind of figured out how to cook it all and, and, and make it into a, at least a palatable meal. Um, some people don't like liver and heart. My wife is one of them. She didn't really care for the texture of either of those two, but it has good taste. So yeah, I want to do some more of that stuff, especially now I'll have a lot more time this year to do those kind of videos, um, to where we can do some education. I don't know what YouTube's like law or rules are on showing that kind of stuff. Do you, Dan? Like, me? I don't like, seem to mind. I mean, there's people that do it quite a bit. You... Yeah, probably shouldn't show them like gutting a deer or anything, but uh, I don't know. I, I don't... did on one of my videos. It didn't get demonetized or anything. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't think. I don't think you sure. want to see blood, though. Yeah, but if you're just cooking something, I don't see a problem with it. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, this can be a pretty quick one. Are you guys shooting the new prime bows? Yep, I got yep. the inline. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave, uh, uh, Rick, my, uh, my old bowl. Um, yep. which one was that? That, um, Oh man, you're asking, uh, Nexus is right here. This guy, yeah, the, the Nexus. I gave, uh, Rick my Nexus and I got the inline. Yeah. Um, I was going to give away the Nexus, um, to a viewer and, and, uh, sign it. But, uh, Rick was like, Oh, I want one. So I gave, <laughs> I gave it to him. And, I haven't, uh, uh, I haven't seen Rick on here yet. The the boys at Prime, I worked out a deal with them, and I am going to be giving away a Prime bowl um, sometime very soon. Cool uh, on my channel, um, and I'm gonna let the viewer who wins it uh, pick out whatever bowl they want. So um, that's coming up. But yes, I am shooting it. I just started, so I can't answer a lot of questions on it, mm-hmm. but I really like it. It's um, it's shooting real accurate, um, but I, I really want to put a season into it and try it out. 
know, it fits me really nice. I just, it just seems to, well, so did the Nexus. They just, they lock in. And I mean, I'm, I just stay on target. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you get a good fit and bow and it fits your body well. And it's a cool thing. Yep. Yeah. I think I'm shooting the Nexus one here. Dan's probably this, it's a shorter axle axle. So like one is 31, three is 33 mm -hmm. and five is 35. I don't know which one you're shooting, Dan. You're probably shooting a longer axle axle bow. An 18. <laughs> 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 yeah i hear you you're probably yeah, shooting a, three, a, full, five, a full uh full length arrow i just yeah. uh trim an eighth of an inch off the end of it because uh my draw length is so long my knuckles drag when i walk i'm still a little bit neanderthal right right us infaults so, haven't adapted that much right <laughs> yeah yeah um those are the bows me and dan will be shooting this year so um thanks for subscribing everybody i saw some people mention that they subscribed uh to the channel and also guys i saw that there was a, a scam post on the chats if you ever see something like that do not click on it or anything uh, i do my best to keep those alpha here but as you guys know man for some reason youtube's been awful lately has has it been for you yeah, yeah there's just been stuff everywhere I, I turn them in right away so that they don't come back on but yeah. i don't know what you can do on a chat i don't know how you get away with it there but you know, they, they fool some people, too. I mean, on mine, they were doing, like, uh, kind of trying to mimic my giveaways and doing it, you know, because I'd give somebody something in there by the comment they made. Um, yeah. But if I give something away, I do a video about giving something away. I don't just send them a message and say, hey, you want a new bow. And that's what they're doing. They're saying people want a Hoyt bow and stuff. People were, like, sending me a message. Did I really win a bow? And, yeah. I was, and what they would do is they would ask for the shipping. Yeah. If you win something from me or if I gave you something, I would never charge you shipping. I'd pay that out of my pocket. Right. I'm not doing that. So anytime yeah, yeah. that somebody comes across as it's us and they're asking for money, it's um, not us. we're not going to give you something and charge you for what you're getting. Whether it's shipping or anything like that, we'd pay it. Yeah. So don't fall for any of that. Yeah. So uh, before I forget here, last week, the uh, living with... Uh, Damron, I think is the, is his name. He, he did the super chat last week and let me know. I didn't see it last week. So I was wanting to get his question here. I wrote it down on a piece of paper so I wouldn't forget. And I noticed, I think he's on right now. So I wanted to, to get this in here. He said, I have hunted Southern, uh, Southern mountains that are pine forest. This is my third year and I've never seen a bed. He said, he's done tons of walking. Do you have any tips for him? Yeah. They're probably hard to see in those pine forests. Um, yeah. and it's, you know, uh, it probably has to do with steepness, and it has to do with uh, shelves and stuff like that. You should be able to find some beds. I mean, it, um, if it's more rolling is where you have problems. Um, but if they're bedding on pine needles, they can be really hard to see, too. Uh, yeah. Geez, I mean, uh, outside of writing a book on here, it, it, it's difficult. Um, they're going to, you know, they're going to be at certain positions on, uh, where the land starts to drop off fast. I mean, once you get an eye for it, you'll know where they're at. I mean, I can look at a property, even where you can't see a bed and I know where they're going to be. And even if I can't see the bed, I know where they're bedding. And I know that sounds crazy, but after you look at beds for all your life, it, you get like that. Yeah. And sometimes I, I take it for granted that everybody 
sees it like I do. And, and I have to take a step back and say, no, they don't. Um, I know, uh, like, uh, I did a workshop in Tennessee. Um, I think it was Tennessee, the uh, land between the lakes. Um, Kentucky or Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. One of the two. And we went down and, uh, I went and spent the day down there walking around and I couldn't believe how difficult it was for me to, to find beds to show the group. Now I knew where they were bedding. I could see the beds. I could see where they're at, but it wasn't something that you'd have people wondering, you know, like, like, you know, what's he talking about? I found one really good setup bed, but it was because of my history of looking at trains like that. But, uh, basically, um, if you study the Hill Country um, bedding DVD or our Hill Country videos that we have on YouTube that are free on my channel, um, you should get a good grasp of where they should be bedding. And whether you can see the beds or not, that's where they're at. In a lot of cases in uh, the terrains where you really have a hard time seeing the beds, you should see rubs coming in and out of them, the areas where the beds should be. And if you know how to read the terrain, well, then you're going to say, okay, that's where they're, that's where they're betting, whether you can find a bet or not, you know? Um, and I do a lot of that. I mean, cause I go in and hunt in season. So I'm looking at terrain and saying they're betting here because of the terrain. This is where they're going to come through. And then I look for sign where they're going to come through. And that's where I set up. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, especially road trips, I really don't know. I haven't seen the beds firsthand. Right. It's probably one of those deals, man. Once you kind of find one, finally, you'll probably start recognizing them or, yeah. or, or seeing them. Okay. For people that weren't on earlier, someone asked just a second ago, when is the next hunting beast get together or potluck? So we said this earlier on the podcast. We're actually, it's funny you asked that because next Friday um, we are getting together uh, in Clarkston, Michigan at uh, Buckshot's Bar and Grill. Um, Blue from Stealth Outdoors is going to put some tickets on his website tomorrow. You can get on there and buy them. It's going to be like probably from 5.30 to whenever we're done next There is Friday. a limited number of people being yep. going to be able to go. So um, yep. you, you're paying for it because there's a meal and because we're renting a, a place. Um, but it's got a limited number of people we can put in there. So, um, I think it's what, uh, 50 people or something. So yep. if you, if you want to, if you really want to be there, um, book it early and we're going to, um, we're going to get there real early, like a couple hours early. And with it being a limited number of people, you'll have access to me and Josh and, and, uh, probably even Rick, if anybody actually wants to talk to him. <laughs> so, the, the, um, driver. <laughs> So yeah, he's got to come along to poke me every now and then when I fall asleep and drive off the road. But yeah, but yeah, if you want to, if you want to go, get there early because uh, uh, I'll be there a couple hours early to chat with people and meet them and stuff like that. Yeah, but there'll be a good meal involved, and you know, we'll do a live show there. Yeah, and that's why that's why we're going to charge for it this time. I have to pay for everybody's meal. So yeah, um, just so everybody knows that. We're not we're not making anything off that. We're just paying for yeah. the cost of what we're doing. Yep. And we're um, not even doing that because uh yeah, I gas to, is six dollars a gallon. Yeah, I had to uh go over to my kid's house and steal his uh, penny jar to get gas money to go. So oh yep. crap, I think he watches this. Oh man. Well <laughs> 
here's a question that I, I'm not going to put up here because I'm not sure what the uh, YouTube's. Ah, this is a. Uh, I'll just ask it. What the? Uh, where'd you get that uh, doe shirt with the pickle? Um, someone asked Dan. I that was my favorite shirt that you've ever worn. Also, uh, that was that was a gift. Uh, I'm not. I don't remember who sent it to me. I, I I'm sorry, but uh, I get a lot of those shirts in the mail from people that uh, are. I think they try to find one I won't wear. And believe it or not, there have been a few. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> many. Yeah, I uh, we used to go on vacation down to Florida a lot, and you go into those like little uh, little surf shops or whatever, and there'll be like a wall full of those kind of shirts in there. I always like to look at them, read them, and they come up with some clever stuff. Okay, I have a question that a guy asked last week too, and I didn't get to it, so I was gonna throw it up here and see if we can give him any any help. Why do some buck rubs ant their antlers in the bed or around their bed, and some don't even, though they need to loosen the velvet anyways? So, um, do you have any comments about this, Dan? I think he's maybe referring to why do some, some bucks rub inside their bed and some of them don't. Well, I do got some comments on that. And uh, the number one would, would be that actually rubbing the, ant the velvet off the antlers I mean, they don't do a lot of that. They do it once or twice and it's done. Yeah. And a lot of times they don't even mark trees that much. Uh, there's a lot of myths and a lot of uh, speculation that goes into that. Um, I've seen a couple deer rub velvet off their antlers. And really, other than a couple pieces of velvet laying around that ain't there very long because critters eat it, you couldn't even tell a deer rubbed their antlers there. Um, the rubs that are in beds are there for a reason. Um, bucks rub for a reason uh, is to communicate is to, to um, mark an area as like mine or is to mark an area to say, Hey, I'm available for a doe. You know, um, when they rub in bedding areas, it's because they're competing for that bedding area. That's why when you have mature bucks bedding in an area, you won't have as many rubs if you're in like public land where there aren't very many big bucks because he's the only big buck around and the other bucks that are subordinate, if he's dominant, won't go near him. But you'll have a bed that, a bed in area that say uh, two-year-olds use, and there's a lot of two-year-olds in the area. That area will be rubbed like crazy, with pretty decent rubs, you know. Um, when what a buck will do is, if other bucks are bedding in his area, he'll rub the tree right inside those beds, and that's to mark that bed as his. Because he's competing against another buck that comes in there and beds in that spot. You know, that's another uh, myth that goes around is that um, when you find a, a, a really good bed, you found a buck's bed. Not really true. The same reason that buck is bedding there is the same reason all the other bucks in the area will bed there. And I've watched uh, bedding areas and seen the exact same bed, seen three different bucks in one week bedding that same bed. Um, but they mark them when there's competition. You know, when you get into an area that has low deer density and has hardly any deer, you have a hard time even seeing the uh, bedding area because you don't have rubs in the in there to see. Um, you get in areas with high density, there's usually glowing rub lines going into the bedding areas. Like uh, when I go scout private properties for people, sometimes you hunt, you, I mean, you scout uh, very well-managed big buck properties that have real high deer densities and high densities of mature bucks, 
and you would not believe the rub lines going into the bedding areas and how well those bedding areas shine. You know, you can see them from a mile away. Where you get into a piece of public property that's built exactly the same, and you have a hard time determining those spots, even though when a big buck is there, that's where they're bedding. Um, but those rubs in the bedding areas, there's there's a there's another thing that'll fool you. Um, so doe bedding areas will have rubs too, but they won't be in the beds. They'll be in the perimeters, both downwind and upwind, but all the way around the, the bedding area and the trails that go through. So they'll be near beds because deer will be in there trying to breed to does and stuff, bucks. But when it's a buck bedding area and there's rubs in the bedding area, they typically are right in the beds. Yep. I think that was a good answer. You probably um, covered your basis there, I think. Um, all right. Let's do one more, guys. And... Man, thanks for everybody being on. There's a lot of people on tonight. Um, don't forget to subscribe if you like what we're doing. And then when we hit 5,000, I'm going to give away some bee sticks. Um, I'll probably do something cool every um, every kind of milestone and try to kind of up the prize every time. So hit the subscribe button if you guys don't mind. All right. This is a pretty good question. Um, I think we could we could talk on for a minute here. How much do you pay attention to water holes? You ever sit them? You know, taking that Josh. Um, I mean, if I'm being honest, I have I've never killed a deer on a water hole. Um, but I've had some pretty respectable people like tell me they're they're pretty important, especially like when I'm hunting Kentucky in early season. Mm-hmm. Um so I've been trying to kind of scout out some of those like remote water holes on some of the public land in Kentucky and and kind of work on those. Um but I imagine when it's hot they gotta come to water, so what do you think, Dan? I'm sure. I know. I know you've killed deer over water holes. So yeah, I have. I've seen some 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 really good action on certain water holes, and I've seen other spots where it was just like any other place in the forest. Um, yeah, it probably depends on how much water's around, how close the bedding is to the water. Um, I've seen places that have a lot of water, but adjacent to the bedding, there's only one water source or one water hole, and that water hole will be well used. Um, I think the key is for that water hole to be in the right spot. It has to be near where that deer beds and it has to be where he's comfortable moving in daylight for him to use it. Um, like, um, I'm sure most of the viewers saw that video. I think we just did a re rehash of it just recently of me shooting that big 14 pointer on the water hole, uh, 85 degree weather. Now, the reason that water hole was so good was that water hole was 75 yards from the buck bedding on a point. Um, and it was primary bedding with, with the way the wind went. And you could get in there and just off wind and have that wind blowing over the valley. So that deer is actually coming wind and nose to the water hole, feeling safe. And the timber was cut in a way to make it get thick from that water hole to the bedding. So it was thick the whole way till he popped out to the water. So it had all the condition there for a mature buck to feel safe using that water hole. And uh, that was the first day of that year it was hunted, I believe. I think uh, I think that's where we'll stop everybody. Uh, don't forget, next week is going to be Friday. We're still going to do 
the live show on YouTube. It'll just be at Buckshots in Michigan and get on the website. We'll put us up on Facebook tomorrow to throw up some tickets so you guys can join us if you're in the area or want to come and you might even be able to grab somebody uh, out of the audience to drag them up. Yeah. Screaming and kicking. Yep. yep. Get it, get up there on the mic uh, and chat with us for a, a while on the live, live stream. We may go for a while uh, Friday. I could see it getting out of hand. And, yeah. Especially if next week we got people there to come to see us, we should do a long one. Yep. Um, all right, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe, win you some B-Sticks, and we will see everybody Friday next week. This Thursday Night Live hasn't been Thursday very often anymore, but um, we'll see you Friday next week, everybody. Uh, Thanks, everybody. See you later. See you.